Welcome to Exec Insights, conversations about Australian business and the changing world. A major story this week in the Australian business press has been executive salary, focusing on the controversial uh, package of Australia Post CEO Ahmed Fahour. This invites the question that I'm sure has occurred to all of us. Do leaders, particularly these spectacularly remunerated superstars, actually make a difference to organisational performance? What difference do they make and how do they make it? It's timely then that I'm joined today by Professor Andrew Pettigrew. Andrew is Emeritus Professor of Strategy and Organisation at the Said Business School at the University of Oxford. We could have no better thought leader than Professor Pettigrew to help us explore the topic of what he terms leader effects. He is an eminent scholar. He's one of the foremost researchers and practitioners in strategy and change management. Alongside his pure research, Andrew is concerned with practice. He's been engaged internationally in consulting and advisory roles on strategic change and management in the NHS to working with the boards of top corporations. He is chairman of the academic sounding board for McKinsey's worldwide organisation practice. Andrew is visiting with us at QUT this week and this afternoon will deliver a grand challenge lecture for our Institute of Future Environments. His topic, can leaders make a difference to organisational performance? Professor Pettigrew, may I call you Andrew? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this isn't actually the first time we've met. We've actually met at the Academy of Management, but not formally. I would say rather than we've met, we've been in the same hall together. Yeah, uh, you were giving a spectacular uh, keynote address, I think, for organisational development and change. Oh, I, yes. well, I think we were Boston then. Yes. yes. And uh, I have to say it was a tour de force, you know, and I um, was a PhD student at the time, so I was completely you know, blown away. But at the end, I think everyone else was blown away too because it went for questions and then there was kind of that silence, you know. Yeah. I think we were overawed. I think he'd taken on a whole sort of state of the field um, yeah. type approach yeah. and also looked at sort of the meagerness of our methods to embrace some of the larger problems. It was a, you know, and then I thought, oh, I don't know. I always feel like I have the responsibility to ask a question and I did and it was so banal, I have to say. So I just think I'm, I'm really glad to have the opportunity to redeem myself with hopefully some well, I, more. I remember the occasion, but of course I don't remember you on the occasion. Uh, pop, popping up at something, but you did ask the question, I which did. was good. Yeah. I did. I did. Well, that took a lot I of courage because there were hundreds of people in that room. It and was. To bounce yeah. up and ask a question. It was, a, it was for a PhD student. It is an intimidating sort of thing to do, but but I do remember the presentation, and um, it is wonderful to kind of follow through. I think it's probably some of the similar themes, which is that. Even leadership is, is a very broad subject and has to be taken in context, I think. So, um, and certainly some of the approaches to leadership um, and organisational performance and change that we may approach in a business school, we may approach them too sort of unidimensionally, I mm, think, mm. and it's time to kind of pull out and um, take a more systems view. But having said that, I would say, I don't know if, if you have seen any Australian press this week, but there's been um, some controversy over the salary packages of CEOs of um, government-owned corporations, um, in particular uh, about a multi-million dollar salary package of the CEO of Australia Post. So it would seem that the spectacular salaries offered to many executives, public and private, suggest that boards place a lot of weight on the effect of particular individuals to drive organisational performance. So um, are they justified in sort of taking that, that view? Well, I, th I think they are, of course, to some degree, but you know, Performance has got to be a multi-causal explanation. Mm. You can't attribute it to one factor or one person mm. or even a team. Or even a team. Because remember, we're talking about leadership. We need to talk very often way beyond the individual. 
to the team, and the team not just at the top, but the team at different levels of the organisation. Mm. And of course, as you look at leadership as a distributed phenomenon in that mm. sort of way, so focusing on the payment of the people at the very top sounds somewhat uh, problematic. Mm. Although I think it's real, mm. and it's real because there's a marketplace for leaders. Mm. and you can't start paying your leader 50% of the market, mm. otherwise you'll find yourself written out of the market. Mm. And I think in, in bodies, I don't know anything about the Australian Post, but a, is that a quasi-public sector or is uh, it purely public sector? Well, I'd say it's a government-owned corporation, government so, corporation, yeah. yeah. But they did say, I saw in the paper today, that the board was worried that if they did drop the remuneration, they say the the position is in competition with private sector organisations like FedEx and so forth, yeah. so they have to you know, keep a certain level of remuneration. Yeah. No, I think that, that that's, a, that's a reasonable argument, but I think uh, it's, this still has, the system has to be put in place to ensure that the right measures of performance are used to measure, you know, the performance of the chief executive. Mm. Uh, they're not arbitrary, they're mm. real. And that they, um, there is some scope for the leader, of course, to influence those areas of performance because mm. it's not always having an incentive system if the people can't shape the incentive in some mm. kind of way. So it's, it's a complicated question which mm. is controversial in every society, mm. even in America. Mm. I think oh, especially in the, America, I think. Where yeah. the, I mean, there have been lots of books there written on In Search of Excess, you know, is, mm. I think was the first one I remember mm. cataloguing the, uh, the problems of this area. So the, the Americans, have, like, like many other things in business, have set the tone here. Mm. Been picked up by, of course, now by corporations over the world, again for the same excuse. Mm. There's a market. There's a market. Uh, I, I actually uh, wondered, and I had a little idea, uh, so it um, uh, amused me with this idea, but you know, uh, Michael Lewis wrote the book Moneyball, so he's suggesting that, uh, at least in baseball, there was uh, an inefficient market. It is an inefficient market for baseball players and they were being over-remunerated. I just wonder if we could find those factors that, um, that may predict performance at the CEO level and find out we're overpaying, you know, yeah, and we yeah. could, uh, yeah, could all rationalise out if we had the right algorithm, if we just had the right algorithm. <laughs> well, I think one yeah. of the first examples I'm going to give in my talk in a moment is about the economist's scepticism about the role of leaders. And uh, mm. because they, they say it's all about the environment, mm. the, the context, not about the individual. Mm. Individuals are just noise in the system. Mm. And to exemplify that, they would, they would you say, well, look, if, they, if you're running an oil company and the price of uh, oil is $120 a barrel, you can have a donkey running the company mm. and still make a fortune. Mm. It doesn't make any difference, you know. Mm. So the tone is set by the context. Mm. And not always malleable by the individual. So mm. all these things have been taken. But I mean, obviously, the real challenge for an oil company is if the price was at fifteen dollars a barrel, then it switched to fifty dollars a barrel, mm. then seventy dollars. In other words, mm. uh, executives who have to deal with constant change uh, mm. and have to be adaptive mm. themselves have to and have have to learn fast themselves. Mm. They also have to create an environment in the company where there's a culture of learning. Mm. Now that's a long way. From simple, some simple ratio of, of, mm. of me, you know measurement. You got, so there's no uh, algorithm possible. <laughs> no. Well, there are algorithms <laughs> yeah. which are used, to, yeah. but they have to be customised for the ah, context. Yes, there we go. Facts yeah, facts of the context. You did uh, in um, 
uh, presentation which I saw you give, you did say there is a possibility that even in the same context, in the same oil industry, there are some organisations that do outperform. Yeah. Uh, and it could be, we could look at the individual, the yeah. leader performance there. Yeah. Mm. No, we did a study of that sort of where we, we compared a high performing company and a lesser performing company, basically in the same macroeconomic context. Mm. So um, high-performing car company, a low-performing, high-performing merchant bank, low-performing, high-performing insurance company, high-performing publisher. Uh, and you can find companies facing the same context mm. who actually do outperform one another. And that, that, of course, then drives you to explore what are the other factors. What are the other factors? And the other factors then you go, that, that opens the possibility of examining leadership and management mm. as a contributor to performance. Mm. So that's the that's the criticism of the economist argument mm. that it's all about. It's all about the, the context. It's all about mm. the context. It's not all about context. We would say using the same sort of example. So Ahmed Fahua, who is the CEO, of, oh, he actually stepped down recently in the midst of the furore. Uh, he held the position for seven years. So is it fair now that he has stepped down to say, well, let's look at his performance right now um, on his point of. Uh, uh, of uh, leaving, or do we have to wait a while to see what actually was, what if any, was the effect of Ahmed Fahour? Again, it depends on the industry. Mm. If you're in a very cyclical industry, as the chemical industry used to be, for example, mm. where it was much affected by um, recessions and the upwards and downwards cycle there, that, that would determine or to determine when, how, for how long you waited to, to assess the performance. So industries. Mm. I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is in longer cycles, of course, mm. because the, the time it takes to develop drugs and get them on the market. So mm. I think industries which have long cycles, you might argue, require, require performance indicators mm. and the assessment of the performance on a long cycle. But of course, that's in an ideal world. Mm. One of the big challenges uh, for chief executives today is that they're expected to produce results immediately. Mm. Uh, you know, almost on a session on a quarterly basis, mm. and therefore, um, the, the this overriding concern with the short term is, to, you know, is, it doesn't uh, match up to the requirements of the industry really. Mm. But I, I think people, I think, well, I'm just thinking of this kind of place like university. I mean, we used to have a cycle of, uh, of changing department heads every mm. three years. Mm. They've stopped that now in Britain for obvious reasons. Uh, first of all, nobody wanted the job because it wasn't a serious job. But secondly, you couldn't achieve anything in three years. So people have now been given a minimum of five years. Mm. And having done a dean's job, um, I think I did have an impact with my colleagues in five years, but probably seven years would be even better. So um, I think you do need time to deliver performance. and. Uh, and the problem about uh, the international culture of business now throughout the world is that people are not given that time. Mm. And therefore they have to manage the politics mm. of to contract well mm. with the people. So many people when they're promoted, they think, great, you know, I'm in charge, I finally, I finally got myself. And they don't do some of the most crucial contracting that should happen. Mm. And one of the most crucial pieces of contracting that should happen, that, that is to is to contract about the length of the appointment in relationship to the size of the change agenda you were given. Mm. So if you're given a big change agenda and you're, and you're told, oh, well, we'll, 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 um, you've only got three years, you might as well say you're taking on a suicide mission. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, people, you have to do yeah. due diligence on that to say exactly. whether... And people, people amazingly, even very experienced people in business, don't contract at higher tiers carefully enough to make sure they've got some chance to have some success, success. Got, mm. uh, which means having time. When we speak about the industry and, um, and how we should assess performance, Australia Post, I suppose, is a classic example of an industry that's been um, uh, swept by disruption. Of course, so the you know letter post business has practically um, well dwindled into into nothing, and they're looking for new sources of of income. Of course, and it's, it's, it would be hard for a CEO, I think, in that industry to claim uh, you know to claim success or to even measure performance. And with the winds of change are just blowing so yeah. so viciously. Mm. Well, of course, they could always compare it with their predecessor. You know, mm. the, what what happened for the previous three years, and that's of course is usually the challenge. They they're told look, uh, you've got to do better than the last three years or the last five years, irrespective of the extent to which the context has changed. And of course that is a legitimate challenge for anybody. You have to get on top of the context quickly, mm. assess carefully the quality of the people around you. Everybody knows that leaders don't lead on their own. Mm. They're dependent on the, the political coalition, mm. not Im just immediately around them, but the political coalition beneath them and in the constituent parts, if there are divisions. Mm. So leadership is very much a political process. It is, and um, political in, in the succession of a leader as well. So I'd imagine, again, following through on this example, the, the Board of Australia Post will be considering CEO appointment right now. So um, you've noted that leader succession can have an effect on organisational performance as well, the way that they consider succession. Um, and you've mentioned that candidates at the moment for Australia Post, they could be followers, um, they could be contenders or heirs, and I think there might be a couple of other yeah. categories too. Can you tell us more a little bit about and maybe what the Australia Post board should be thinking about at the moment or what are some possible moves? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the, the primary issue, of course, is the operating environment mm. and the changes in the operating environment, the nature of the competition, the capacities that are currently exist there, you know, often something which is not always dealt with by boards. You know, they, they tend to think about strategies, mm. but not the capacity, say, the quality, the skills and knowledge base to cope with the operating environment. So, uh, which means it's issues about organizational learning are very important and speed of learning. And all these things are crucial, of course, in considering uh, what kind of candidate is, is, is appropriate, whether it is an insider, whether it is an outsider, and um, the, the different kinds of insiders you refer to, mm -hmm. whether there is an heir there. Contender means, of course, somebody who is uh, appointed after the dismissal of the predecessor. You know, mm -hmm. the, so these things are all crucial. Um, and of course, the, the, the search industry is a very important part of all that. I, I don't know what sort of reputation it's got in Australia, but, uh, but they play a very crucial part uh, in this story because they, they can shake people out informally and not have to rely on an infor in a formal process. And this can help. So like everything, like any other complex problem, it's um, putting together a, a, you know, the, uh, an argument about the current performance, about the operating environment, the changing operating environment, the position of the company in relationships to its competitors, what the board's view about the feasible uh, journey is for the company, you know, the, the directional, do they have a directional story? Mm. 
and, um, and then to match that against the capacities, the current capacities, and then to put into that sort of equation, okay, what kind of person do we need? Mm. What do all those clues signal mm. about what sort of people are likely to be more likely to see, succeed than others? Because nobody can guarantee success, of mm. course. So it's a, it's a question about probabilities. Probabilities, yeah. And there, of course, you've got some help from the looking at the track record of the candidates, of course. And as you know, some people get a, uh, uh, a reputation for being turnaround experts, for coming into tough situations and handling the situation in the short term, but often not putting down the roots to develop the system in the longer term. Uh, maybe people have gone against that kind of philosophy now of expecting uh, turnaround merchants to come in who are unfamiliar with your context, especially since so many of them don't stay very long, you know, they move on to the next, you know, they, they like the excitement of the turnaround, not the um, difficult business of keeping the business running effectively in the longer term, and therefore with it not having the strategic thinking mm. to it. Mm. So these are all very yes. complex e equations, mm. and that's of course why, one reason why people get it wrong, you know, mm. they, they also get it right, thankfully, <laughs> but... Uh, I think I you did you know. note, I think when I uh, heard you speak, that when we talked about the political realm around the CEO and at the lower levels, sometimes the external appointment can experience political problems from within. Yeah. Um, just I suppose they don't belong to the tribe. Um, yes. and they don't belong to the tribe and they, um, they perhaps also make two fundamental mistakes. They change things too quickly and they get rid of the internal people mm. in the top. So there's a whole scale recycling of people in the top management team linked to too dramatic a change. And that's usually a recipe of disaster mm. because outsiders need the informal intelligence mm. held by insiders. And if they remove all the key insiders, they're cutting themselves off from the, in, the mm. internal political environment. And that's a recipe for disaster. And mm. people then separate themselves and then they start to look for failure. Mm. Uh, they start to look for people making mistakes and they will, I mean, I've seen people, they pass the information up to the board mm. above the chief executive. Mm. They start talking behind the chief executive's back uh, to the board about, and I mean, I can give examples, of that, but I won't, uh, this is quasi-public, but I, I can give you many examples of that happening. So that's another crucial factor, of course, which affects success, success of success. They not only have they notionally, the company chose the right person, but the speed with which the, the new person attempts change and whether they remove too many of the existing people who could be the, the coalition of the willing mm. who help them to, to achieve what objectives they need mm. to achieve. So it is a very political process. It is a political process and uh, so organize, uh, politics and power is one of the themes you've explored in your in your research career, of course, and something that I found quite fascinating too. But we've gone to the, to the uh, subject, I suppose, about the way that a CEO approaches change. And I think you've done um, what looks like a magnificent study with BP and how the um, leadership and also um, how organisational change is approached. And I think the suggestion is the way that a leader approaches change can affect organisational performance. And you do mention that there is a risk, I think, in taking... Um, taking just a piecemeal approach to change, that um, one of the real uh, 
explanatory factors in uh, change with BP was the leader taking a very holistic or systemic approach to change and doing multi-level multi, um, change. Yeah, yeah. That's mm. Right, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's, this is the theory which is developed initially in America by two economists, industrial economists called Milgram and Roberts. They initially labelled it the new economics of complementarities. But the new economics bit has now died away. It's just, just known as a theory of complementarities and change. And uh, we tested this out in a very, very large sample of 1,500 Japanese, 1,500 American, European companies, the biggest study I've ever done, actually, to test this proposition, and uh, where we were looking at sets of innovations. And the core idea behind the complementarities argument is that uh, it's a probabilistic argument again, of course, it's if you want to increase the probabilities of making change effectively to drive up performance, then you have to make changes in mutually reinforcing sets. Mm. Uh, so, and key, key word there is mutually reinforcing. So it's not any old set of innovations. It's a set of innovations which is pushing the corporation in the same direction. Mm. So it's not just a theory of the, you know, I think that's crucial to make that. The mutually reinforcing element is absolutely central to the argument. And they counter that uh, with the, the opposite, which, where they suggest that, um, that if you make uh, changes singularly, not only will you not drive up performance, you will drive down, down performance. performance. Mm. And the, of course, it's, this is kind of almost counterintuitive because people would argue, well, I'm, I'm not going to make all these changes all at once. Nice. I'm mm. betting the corporation on this change that, and I could end up on the street, you know, mm. and it's too high risk. Mm. But of course, in doing that, you don't need to have to do it all in one day. Mm. The logic is to think about it strategically in system terms and to work out a, a sequence. So you're clear, we've got to do these nine things, these nine things which are interrelated, which are opposite, fit well the context we're in, and will drive the corporation in the direction that we want. But we don't all, won't start them all on Monday morning. Mm. We will do these three first, because those mm. are the critical and then we'll move on to make additive effects. So it, it, it doesn't mean to say literally it has to be done all at once, but it has to be thought about yeah. in system mm. terms. In the, and we show very clearly from this very, very big sample uh, that this, we confirm that proposition in this sample of, of a very large, unusually large, an international sample of companies. But we also show some of the challenges of doing it, and we do that by using case studies, of course. Mm. The statistical analysis is, has to be done on a, using survey methodology, which is somewhat distant from now on. It gives you the numbers, but somewhat distant from the, the action, you might say. So we did 18 case studies to, you know, to complement the statistical analysis, and that's absolutely essential. And one of those was BP. Mm. Another one was Unilever. Oh, okay. Uh, and we've actually, we've written a paper actually comparing BP and Unilever. Um, and today I'm just going to talk about BP, and uh, I know it rather better actually. And uh, the dangers, well, you see the story, the story of BP and change in these terms is actually a story of intergenerational leader effects. It's a story not of a single leader delivering the performance, but uh, a set of leaders over time. And this is rarely studied mm. by management uh, scholars because they don't hang around long mm. enough they don't make the time for time. Yes, yes, yes. so you don't, they don't have time for time. So, I like yeah. that. Yeah. So mm. they, but 
we, we, we always do lo in longitudinal studies. So we, mm -hmm. we, we and anyway, the, the, so it, that the BP story is a story of intergenerational leader effects, uh, but it's also a study showing the the dangers of doing this kind of complementarities work, um, because it does take a time for the performance effect mm. to be realised, mm. and you often get in major changes what people call what we call the J curve. Uh, things get worse before they get yeah, better. Things get worse before they mm. get better. So the board has to have real faith in the bottom of that J-curve. They have to have mm. a lot of faith. And that's where mm. the contracting by the chief executive is so important. If you're doing something like that, you don't want to be measured after two years or three years. You want to be measured after five years or seven years. And of course, that's an act of faith. Mm. But in a company like BP, that had been the history. Mm. They did keep give people time. Anyway... The story of BP, uh, as, as I'm sure you've probably read, is that after two years, the instigator of this big change, uh, he got fired two years later. Well, they, I know, got, and what I found interesting is that the, his successor didn't then say, well, I'm the new leader, so I'll go and uh, I'll show, prove myself to be different and go in a different direction. He actually continued the, uh, the program of his predecessor. That was the really smart thing, yeah. Yes. Again, yeah. the usual story is when a chief executive gets fired, everybody says, He's written out of history. Yeah. Mm. Don't do anything. Never mention his name. Don't mention again. his name. Yeah. Don't mention again. Don't mm. do anything he yeah. did or she did. Um, and of course, um, uh, Bob Horton's successor didn't do that. David, uh, uh, he, he, uh, he was much shrewder than that. Mm. He dressed it up, what he was doing. He relabeled. This is spin management. <laughs> he, exactly. He relabeled what was going on to some degree. But basically, he carried on with the same uh, uh, areas of change. Mm. So the time we got to five or seven years, when he moved on to be chairman and John Brown came in, the performance was going up like that. And uh, BP did a very unusual thing at that stage, that they, they actually rewarded uh, with a very substantial bonus the person they had fired uh, three years earlier. Yes, I, I, that, that is a wonderful um, institutional gesture, I think, um, to say that we do take a long view here um, yeah. about performance. Yeah, I found that very interesting. No. With the benefit of hindsight, we take a long view. <laughs> they realised by then that what he had started was fundamental to the mm. performance results, which. Mm. He had the right blueprint, yeah. they just uh, didn't he's, know it at the time. There are all sorts of problems about his style, mm. which, are, which are very he, uh, Yes, I think he had a lot of hubris, I think you were saying. I, yeah. think, he, I think he suffered from hubris, that's mm. right. Ah. Well, but, yeah, that is a fascinating um, you know, case study, and, and uh, I'll enjoy reading more. But um, you do mention at the end of this particular um, perform uh, performance presentation that I saw that... Um, that, that study, as, as large and um, significant as it was in its scale, uh, you were saying that we even, to tackle some of the larger problems, we even have to lift, lift our gaze even further. So if we wanted to tackle some of the big problems, you know, such as climate change, and you mentioned, you know, stabilising the European Union or strengthening the European Union as an example of a large challenge. I think since you've given that presentation, Andrew, things have even become more complex. Yeah. yeah. So we have a hope of sort of putting our arms around these, these problems? Well, we have. And since then, I've been working with two colleagues to write all that up. In fact, I, I, I thought today I might have been able to give the lecture on that subject. Mm. The paper's called Unstudying System-Wide Change, ah. but it's not ready yet. It's, yeah. it's becoming ready in, in academic terms, 
but not ready enough to give to a, a public audience, which is, a, you know... Oh, you'll have to come back then, so, won't you? So, uh, <laughs> it was an excuse for coming back. So, no, I think, uh, to me, uh, the big problems of change today are no longer at the institutional level or the organisational level. I mean, there are problems of change in big institutions, like the Australian Post and mm. BP. I mean, these problems continue, but the really big problems are system-wide problems. By that, I mean, uh, you know, problems of international terrorism, mm. problems of mass migration across countries mm. and continents, even in, uh, in, in the health sphere, problems of obesity, or problems of, of safety in healthcare. These are systemic problems. Uh, which require the understanding way beyond an institution to the set of institutions. And of course, the, when, when you start doing that, you raise all kinds of big issues, even bigger issues to do with. You're, you're dealing with multiple stakeholders, um, you know, multiple stakeholders often in different countries mm -hmm. and different continents. Uh, there's a diffused power. So the, the kind of rather simpler notion of, well, we can concentrate power in a corporation like BP to get something done. How do you, con well, you just see it in the EU. I mean, the EU is, uh, uh, is seen in Britain by many people as an, an orgy of helplessness. You know, it's... Uh, oh, I haven't heard that, but yeah, obviously you're closer to... You know, it's an orgy of helplessness. I mean, these, these countries can't run themselves. You know, the, the, the leaders are having difficulty running their own countries, mm. never mind running 28 countries. You can imagine when they meet together mm. to try and find, um, to mobilize cooperation and to deliver collective action, which is the, the two central problems of big system change are how do you mobilize cooperation? How do you deliver collective action to deliver change? And just looking at what the, the, the way the EU approached the, the problem of Greece, the way they looked at the, approached the problem of, of mass migration from North Africa, uh, from the Middle East into Europe, you can see they have huge problems of mobilizing cooperation and delivering collective action. But it's not just the EU. I mean, there are plenty of other examples. You don't have to go to the EU to find orgies of helplessness. Yes. You can find mm -hmm. orgies of helplessness in the National Health Service in Britain, mm. dealing with, for example, the problems of social care, where the hospital system meets the community, and uh, especially with an aging population, which will exist here. In Absolutely, same, same in most developed countries. Uh, the, that's another system-wide problem. Mm. And there's an interesting experiment being attempted in Britain in this regard, which I, I'm not researching, but I would love to be researching, which is known as the Manchester Experiment. And the last government, the Cameron government, have devolved responsibility to Manchester for all matters to do with local government, to do with health, social care, a, uh, and they're creating a mayor of Manchester. And, and they've devolved a budget of, I think it's eight billion pounds or something or other, on an annual basis to start to get them to think about and act so they can deal with these big systemic problems of health and social care in Manchester in some collective way. Mm. So that's the first, uh, if you like, practical experiment, experiment. of those, mm. sense which you can get your hands around somehow mm. and think about, obviously, the EU problems of dealing with Greece or dealing with mi mass migration is an even bigger scale mm. problem. Mm. But I suppose our point in this paper 
is that's what we need to learn how to do. Yeah. Well, I will yeah. watch with interest for the paper. So yeah. Because uh, it's, um, uh, you know, we, we, of course the problem with that, and this is what we, we struggled a bit, there is no extant theory, there's no available theory which you can just take off a shelf because people haven't studied these things before, therefore they haven't grappled with the theoretical challenges of never mind the methodological challenges. So we're trying, to, in the absence of extant theory, available theory, we are pulling together the theories from analytical sociology, from uh, political economy, mm. uh, from hi historical institutionalism even. So we have to have a battery of uh, tools and not just well, use. Exactly, yeah. and, and certainly way beyond the field of management. Mm. Because management people are not interested in these problems. They're, I guess, again, one of the problems of the culture of academia worldwide is that people are, um, they, they tend to focus on small-scale problems, mm. which can deliver small-scale results quickly. Mm. So they can get their articles published, mm. so they, they can get themselves to. promoted. You know, so yes. now as the culture of academia works against uh, doing this kind of work, so the people who do it will be, few in number, and they'll be risk takers. And, um, and they might good luck be, to them. be post, um, post promotional phase, or they might be out of the grip of uh, well, the. Well, they, they, they might well be, they will be unusual people for, mm. for certain. They will mm. not conform to the norms of academia, mm. the present norms of academia, which need to be broken anyway, mm. because uh, it's this kind of short termism and mm. you know, is, is reducing people's gaze. And, Yes, speaking about the academy, that was always Mintzberg's theme, wasn't it? How we had to shake yeah. up the institution of... Well, thank you, Andrew. That was absolutely, um, you know, riveting. Um, but uh, uh, we always finish um, with a little piece that might bring out a little bit about the individual who's sitting across from me. But we always call that, that's interesting. So it can be just a, a small piece about something you've read or something you've seen um, on the screen or um, something that made you just stop and think. What might that be? Well, while we're in Australia, I'm a, I'm a great reader of history. I'm a frustrated historian, uh, an amateur historian. And uh, the first thing I knew I wanted to come over here was to go and see um, uh, Tom Roberts' paintings. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I went to see one of them in his, uh, the Golden Fleece, of course, is in New South Wales. The other famous one is, uh, in, unfortunately, in Melbourne, which we can't get to this time. Uh, it's called the, the, it's the Shearing of the Shearing of the Ram. Shearing of the Ram, Ram yeah. Mm -hmm. And I always think that um, this was, uh, this, these, uh, the Australian heroes before Gallipoli, mm. of course they were male, unfortunately. Uh, oh, they well, were, they, they were they females, were, but they, they, were, were, they weren't well known, they, they Andrew. Were, they were, yeah. they were agri the agricultural, uh, his, uh, Australian was the a hero before, the, and of course it was those people who went to Gallipoli, of course, mm. you know, uh, and who fought so effectively there, and at the beginning of the Second World War. Because uh, Australia has become a, an urban society now. Mm, mm. Those kind of guys, are, there are not so many of them around. But anyway, <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to refresh my association with military history with the, that kind of ethos. And uh, so that's my most memorable visit. And I, we, yesterday we went out to, um, uh, to a, a former sheep shearing uh, a, a place, just John, John Dryer. John Darien. John Darien, yes. Mm. And we were the only tourists there. Mm. Um, again, I had the same sort of uh, impact on my wife's here as well, so impact on both of us. So um, mm. um, my immediate uh, 
thought is uh, is a thought about uh, history. History. The importance of legacy. Mm. The importance of identity, which is what we're talking about mm. here. And what we saw, of course, were I symbols of identity, cultural mm. artifacts. How important they are. Although I've spent my life uh, studying change, I think the uh, the most um, interesting thing about change is always the balance between continuity and change. And mm. uh, again, going back to our theme about leaders, usually the most skillful leaders, as I, I hinted in my observations, are those who have been able to manage the balance between continuity and change. Mm. So anyway, we were glad that Tom Roberts did his paintings. We were glad that uh, John, John Darian mm. uh, is there for people to see, although there mm. were so few people there to see it. And uh, this is, these are the images I'll take back to England. Well, and I hope you'll come back and perhaps uh, see some more, and maybe that uh, that picture at the uh, Gallery of Victoria, National yeah. Gallery of Victoria. Yes, yes, that's mm. yes, yes, I, uh, yes. That, uh, I, I think I've seen it once before, but I, I've taken back an image. So we managed to get mm. a couple of my son. One of my sons lives over here, so we, oh, okay. we managed. To, he he helped me when I was in, in Sydney. Lives in Sydney, tied to an Australian girl. Got two grandchildren there, so he. Um, we managed to get two images of the. Uh, of, uh, of those paintings to take back those. They're wonderful. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for giving me a chance to redeem myself <laughs> after well, these you, years. You better tell me what the question was now. <laughs> I can't, I can't remember. remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've blanked it from my memory. Yeah. But thank you so much for that. It was a real privilege. Yeah, okay. okay. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Exec Insights. For more information about QUT's executive education programs, please search QUT Executive Education and you'll find a full range of our programs and services.